This week on Writers, Inc. When you're writing on deadline for a newspaper, writer's block is a luxury you can't afford. Nobody, no city editor is going to say, oh, you have writer's block today. Well, just file tomorrow. Uh, and I think that disciplined me to, the, to uh, be able to sit down and write the copy that I needed to write on deadline. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. Snow not your way a little bit, huh? Just a little bit. I actually thought it was going to let up. It's um, As we're recording, it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and it, it had kind of slowed down, but like I'm looking at my window right now and I, I can't see a single thing. It's literally white out there and it's snowing sideways. Um, and it's funny because my, you know, we've got our daughter's three and my wife, you know, like she, she was like up first thing this morning. I mean, she's always up early to work on her book. So she's up at like five, but like she knocked out breakfast. She had everything set up on the table for my daughter's breakfast. She had like snowsuits laid out. She had the sleds laid out. Like, I think my daughter or my wife is more excited about sledding than my, than my daughter might actually be. <laughs> um, and then they were outside. They, they came in like maybe a half hour ago. They were out there for a good three or four hours just playing in this stuff, nice. just rolling down the hill. And I'm inside with with my coffee underneath the nice warm heater and <laughs> it, it's fun to watch but like damn I can't I can't go out there for that that long and then it, my neighbor was out there and he plowed his driveway you know like you can't tell you know <laughs> yeah and we've been actually talking about getting a heated driveway which is a thing up here um they, they run pipes underneath the asphalt and oh you know, wow it's just, yeah it switches on automatically like when it detects snow so you just you never have anything actually take to your your driveway and I, I really want to do it because I've already fallen on my butt you know multiple times over the last year and a half that we've lived here um, but like I don't know if I want to take away the, the sledding opportunity from my daughter like that's a whole other variable in the mix here I gotta I gotta weigh I'm sure my wife's gonna have some thoughts on it too so that, that's a conversation I'm not really looking forward to yeah I'll no, say I, I was watching the radar and I was like wow for once this nor'easter is gonna skirt south of us and, and we were spared I mean we got like two or three inches which is basically nothing for here yeah, it's it's weird how I mean, like we've got we had 18 inches when my wife went out there this morning, so I'm guessing we're going to break two two and a half feet somewhere around there. Um, my brother-in-law is in Rhode Island, which isn't too far from us, um, and he said they got a lot of snow overnight, but then it turned into rain, and you know now it's just a slushy mess. Uh, it's kind of going away. So, yeah, we're we're getting the brunt of it. I know New York got hit pretty hard too. Yeah. So lots of crazy stuff in the news. Have you seen this thing with Facebook and, yeah. and Apple? Uh, th there's a battle ensuing between uh, Facebook and Apple. Uh, why don't yeah. you kind of tell us a little bit about it? I think you were reading more up on it than I was. A, a little bit. There's not a whole lot out there. If you go, if you just search for, for Facebook advertising iOS 14, you'll, you'll come up with some articles. Uh, but essentially, it looks like Apple is rolling out a new update to iOS that's going to allow uh, the, the users of, of iPhones to opt into advertising information. Um, from what Apple or from what Facebook is saying, that, that opt-in message is, is kind of scary and it's one of those things you know 99.9 percent .9 of us are going to just hit no on 
And when that happens, Facebook is going to no longer be able to tell whether that user, you know, likes particular things. Um, so whatever Big Brother stuff they're doing to be able to dig through your data on your phone, this is going to throw up a wall and prevent that. Um, so from a user standpoint, that's that's probably a good thing. But if you're advertising your books on Facebook, that's not a good thing. Um, I, I've got no idea what that's going to mean for the future of advertising with Facebook. I, I imagine they'll try and challenge this in court because there's going to be a lot of money at stake and it's something that could change. Um, but right now, it looks like that's going to roll out fairly soon. I, I've been digging trying to find some kind of date on it, and, and I don't see anything posted anywhere. So I'm not quite sure when it's going to happen, but it, it sounds like it's fairly soon. Well, I'm going to go back and look because I subscribe to a number of free newsletters. One of the best ones is called Stacked Marketer, and it's usually uh, articles based on you know, internet marketing, advertising, that kind of stuff. And I saw this in that today, but I, I just skimmed it. I didn't read it. So I'm going to go back and, and take a look at that. If folks subscribe to Stacked Marketer, you might have, there might be some more information there about that. All right, well, let me let me know what you find because I've got a new book coming out in February, and I'm like I'm gearing up my marketing campaign. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like this just threw the brakes on everything. I don't, yeah, I might have to throw some more money at Amazon and less at Facebook, or you know, look at something you know totally different out of left field, some new advertising venue. I'm not quite sure yet. Well, let's let's talk about things we can control. Uh, tell me about this new book, man. Oh, this one was fun. So this was a, a full-on thriller. This is one that I wrote right after I got off the book with with Patterson. Um, it's about a a, a radio. Uh, a satellite radio DJ. Um, she's essentially like a female Howard Stern. Um, you know, huge giant audience. Um, she's been on the air for a while. Somebody that everybody listens to every morning. She's she's very opinionated. Um, she's you know to the point where she's pushed away her family and her friends, and her her daughter is basically the only one still in her life. Um, but when she gets behind that microphone, she just says what she what she wants. And I, I had so much fun writing this character. Um, but a, a caller calls in 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 the beginning of her show and asks if she'd like to play a game. And it sounds pretty you know pretty tame. Um, but before she realizes, she's she's caught up in something. That, that's pretty scary and it, it's basically being called a, a cross between diehard and talk radio um by by the publishers and it's it's a, a full-on adrenaline rush like I, I just put my foot on the on the gas pedal and just held it down the entire time i wrote this thing and from what i'm seeing in the initial reviews that definitely came across which is which is always good because when i flick that that first you know i, I turn it on a net galley and i start seeing those reviews trickle in that's usually a scary couple of days <laughs> you know when you first when you first hit that button but so far they've all been five star which is insane i think i've gotten like 20 or 30 of them in the last day or two um so we'll see but it comes out february 22nd nice what's it called again uh, a caller's game a caller's game okay and who's yeah. publishing this uh, well, it's another one of those where I'm mixing it up. I'm, I'm doing the the indie thing, you know, here in the U.S. and the U.K. and, and Canada, and we've got the traditional publishers everywhere else. I, I just signed a contract about an hour ago for Germany, um, so that that business model seems to be working out very well for me. Um, so I'm going to continue it as long as everybody's going to let me. It's you know, it, it frees everything up on my side, allows me to do what I want to do, and you know, I, I don't necessarily have to worry about translations. Uh, Recorded Books is doing the audio book for me, um, and we've got some some big news coming out as far as narrative on that that I'm not quite allowed to talk about yet, but I'm really excited about the the, the people that they got. Uh, the story itself bounces back and forth between that DJ and then the male character, which is a, a police officer in New York. Um, so they're going with two narrators, a female and a male, uh, which will come across really well. And it, I, I got a feeling it's going to play out you know, on, on audio, maybe even better than print, only because you know it's it's a radio DJ, so you know, it's very dialogue heavy and it's just geared. It, it kind of has that old um, you know radio program kind of vibe to it, I think. 
but you know obviously set in modern day so we'll see but I, I had so much fun writing it um you know it, it just it flew off you know the, the keyboard was just nuts how quickly I knocked this book out it, it when you when you get a spark for a certain idea sometimes you just run and it you know before you get a chance to look up you're done that's kind of how it went that's excellent how many words is in it uh, 118, 120, somewhere around oh, there. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's still a pretty chunky book too. Well, it depends for me. That's, that's kind of the norm. Like I, I every time I, I, you know, I open a new book file on Scrivener, I set the little, you know, you can put those targets down in there and I always put 80,000 words, my target. And I, I have yet to hit that. Every single book that I write is, is way more. The, the last one I just finished was, I think we ended up at 140 and I ended up cutting like about 23 out. Um, but that, that's kind of my norm, like around 100 to 120 seems to be my sweet spot. Nice. Is the uh, the cover you were showing me earlier, is that is that the cover pretty much you went with for this book? Yeah, I, I brought in Stuart Bache again, and he did a, a phenomenal job. And, and they touched about this on self-publishing formula. He, he keeps this really quiet, but he's actually a classically trained artist. Um, you know, so a lot of the covers that, you know, people use, they go out there and they get, you know, art from, you know, stock photos and things like that. And they put a cover together, but he actually he painted this one or drew it or however he, he did it. It's, it's, you know, an actual artist rendering, which and it, it came out great. I, I really like it. Excellent. All right. Well, that's cool, man. It's a couple cool. more months on the new book launching. Yeah, it, it goes by fast. Yeah. Uh, I got some news to share. Uh, Sabrina, who's uh, Google Play Books and a uh, great supporter of the career author for a long time, uh, let me know that Google Play Books redesigned their sales data dashboard. So they now are showing, you used to have to download a spreadsheet to see your, your figures. And now it's, um, it's just real time. You can uh, see units sold or earnings. Uh, you can filter uh, by book format, country, um, they're also creating charts. So they have top selling titles, average sale price, top geographies. And I think what's cool about this in the new Google Playbooks dashboard, it's not, it's not like a, a ground shaking innovation. They're, they're basically catching up. So the dashboard itself isn't really impressive, but it's, it's the symbolic nature of this, I think, is, is, uh, uh, makes me very optimistic. I think Google Playbooks is really taking ebooks seriously for the for the first time in a long time uh maybe ever and and this this tells me that they want to compete they they want to be part of that ecosystem and i think that's just good things for all authors well it could be you know we're, we're getting ready to become the what, top three publishers out there from top four um that this may be the next generation of that you know amazon google you know who knows disney somebody else you know it, you know we I, I didn't think of amazon as a retail player back in the day and now all of a sudden they are the retail player and um, you know, now we've got Netflix that competing with, with television, you know, like I, I would, at this point I'm in my career, I would rather get a Netflix deal, I think, than a, a regular television, you know, yeah. network, NBC, CBS, ABC, those kind of things, um, you know, from a company that didn't exist, a company that was mailing me DVDs, you know, 10 years ago. Um, it's crazy how the world is changing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and this is, this is a good sign for authors. So if you are publishing wide or if you have a Google play books dashboard, go check it out. I, I was looking at, um, much improved. It's a much better experience. So cool. Yeah. Uh, also want to mention, uh, our wonderful partners at Kobo writing life, uh, the sponsors of the podcast, they allow you to, uh, take your self publishing career into your own hands. You have the option to set your price, keep all your rights, and they have that great monthly promotional opportunities uh, that in your promotions tab. So make sure you head on over to KoboWritingLife.com and you can get started today. We also want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you so much. We love you all. If you want to become a patron of the podcast, 
head on over to patreon.com slash writers inc podcast and jd i think that brings us to the guest for today who do we have we have Jonathan Kirsch. We have an attorney. So we, our, our opening tells you to get your notepads out. In, in this case, you have to get the yellow legal yellow pad one. out. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started here. Like, I, I, I hate this stuff, you know, the, the legal aspect of, of this whole business. It, and it, it reminds me a lot of like when I go to a foreign country, I, I learn just enough words to, to get by. I, I know how to say bathroom. I know how to say police. Um, I know how to order a Big Mac, you know, like that. I, I learned just enough. And when it comes to the legal world, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Like I put so much, you know, trust into my, my accountants and my attorneys to structure all this for me. Um, but it's, it's a, a necessary evil in today's world. It's something we definitely have to do. And I'm, I'm grateful that this guy is willing to come on the air and, and talk to us about it. Yeah, I am too. I, I think it's something that uh, most authors would rather stick their head in the sand and, and ignore, uh, myself included. And, and uh, I, I think that having some professional advice, especially from Jonathan, who's a writer himself, uh, I think that's going to be really valuable, and hopefully we're going to get a lot of great takeaways out of this conversation. Yeah, that that's actually huge. You know, if if you get to this point as an author, if you can find an attorney who's actually worked with other authors, that's big because I, I ended up having to switch accountants and attorneys um, pretty early on because I, I had people in place because of some of the real estate endeavors I was I was working on, uh, but they had no clue how to handle you know royalty checks coming out of Russia. You know, <laughs> and, and you need somebody who understands that and how how you know somebody who understands how to structure that. So definitely. See Seek that out, you know. If, if you're in the the ball, you know, if you're looking for somebody, ask those questions for sure. Um, so here he is, Jonathan Kirsch. So Jonathan, I know you have a, a long association with the IBPA. Uh, Wonder if maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, that organization, your association with it, some of the things you might do for or with them. I'd be very happy to do that. IBPA is the Independent Book Publishers Association. It's a trade association of more than 3,500 independent publishers. They range from self-published authors to significant uh, multi-title commercial publishers, trade publishers. Uh, I'm very proud to say, although it dates me, that I've been uh, associated with them as an attorney for more than 30 years, and uh, they are a wonderful resource especially in the new world of publishing where the barriers to entry have come down and authors have a new option to get their work out. Uh, it's a wonderful resource for anyone entering the independent publishing business. They do marketing programs. They help get books into the market. But beyond that, and I would say even above that, they're a tremendous resource of information, training, colleagueship, uh, and I refer my client, my law clients uh, to IBPA constantly. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, very worthwhile organization. And, and I'm really excited to dig into a little bit of this new paradigm you're mentioning uh, sure. as, as it relates to authors. Absolutely. Uh, you're an author yourself, right? You, you, have, uh, you have several books published. I have 13 books, uh, most of which are still in print. Uh, Many of them are with Big Five publishers. A couple were uh, published by independent publishers. Uh, I've written on the subject of publishing law, at, but most of my published work is uh, history and biography. So I, I've been on, and by the way, I am also a freelance journalist uh, and have been for my entire career, even many years before I became a lawyer. So I have uh, personal knowledge of freelance journalism, 
uh, authoring of books, as well as uh, serving as an attorney for those who engage in that, those professions. This is a bit like asking a parent to pick their favorite child, but what type of writing do you enjoy the most? Well, I love the books I uh, have written, uh, the, the history books and the biographies. Uh, those are my proudest accomplishments as a, as a writer. I also do uh, book reviewing, and I get a lot of pleasure out of doing that. Uh, I was born a writer. My dad was a writer. My son is a writer. Uh, I've, I really feel like it's the family trade. And so uh, it, it's a, a source of great personal pleasure and gratification to still be a writer. Although I often say I, uh, that law, the law is a writing profession, too, because most of what a lawyer does day to day is to write. Now, what we're writing is letters and briefs and memos and uh, things like that. But the fact is, we're trying to persuade with work, inform and persuade with words, uh, which I would say is a good functional definition of any writer. So it's a writing trade. Yeah, yeah. As a, a Southern California native, do you do you feel like that had any influence on your decision to become a writer? Do you think it was more personal or family related? Oh, I can tell you exactly what ha what happened. My dad, uh, Robert Kirsch, now now deceased, was the daily book critic of the Los Angeles Times for 30 years. Every morning when the paper came to the house, his column was in the paper and his picture, a line drawing, was on the column. Now, my parents were divorced, so he wasn't in the house. He, I was living with my mother. Uh, but that was how I saw my dad every day. And I have to say that made a huge, huge uh, imprint on me. Uh, I, I was at his house on the day his first book, the box of uh, author copies of his first book arrived. And I saw him unpack that. Uh, and that made a big impression on me. So I think I was always imprinted with the uh, with the love and desire uh, to be a writer. That's and of course, my, my son, who did thankfully grow up in my household, <laughs> he saw me write. I, I, he had the first computer in our house. This is way back in the day. He had the first computer. I would come into his bedroom while he was still asleep. And I'd sit at his desk and I'd write. Uh, I was doing book reviews for the Los Angeles Times myself at that time. And so at some subliminal level, uh, he witnessed me or, or was aware of me writing in in his room. So I think all of this is a deep family imprint. Yeah, yeah, I can I can understand that for sure. Uh, do you have a, a, a daily or a weekly writing routine or are there certain places or times you prefer to write? Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely do. First of all, I'm a morning person, so my energy and acuity is always best in the morning. I write early. Uh, I, the books I've written, people often ask me, how do you write a book, any book, much less 13 books, while practicing law? And the reality is that if I get on the keyboard at seven in the morning and I get two good hours in between seven and nine, the book will be written in a year. And what do you do with the rest of the day? The rest of the day, I, I practice law. But, <laughs> but, uh, I often tell my law clients who, some of my law clients have a tendency to call me late in the day. And I, and I want to say to them, that's the worst time to call me. That's when my acuity is at its lowest ebb. Uh, but I, uh, that, that's my writing routine. It always has been. And 
I, I always say to writers, fellow writers, if you can get X hundred words of finished prose a day, now it could be 200 words or 500 words or a thousand words. It doesn't have to be more than that. If you can get that increment done with discipline every day, you'll write your book. No matter what else you do with your time, your book will get written. How do you find that discipline? It's just something I love to do. Yeah. So you, you do what you, I often say to people, you know, I don't golf. I, I don't have to find time to golf, but lots of lawyers do. Uh, so instead of golfing, I, carving out time to golf, I carve out time to write. And it's such a pleasurable pastime. By the way, I would like to add one more thing as sure, long as we're please. talking about this. My very first professional writing job was at the Santa Cruz Sentinel, which it was and is a daily newspaper. When you're writing for, as your uh, viewers and listeners will know, when you're writing on deadline for a newspaper, it, writer's block is a luxury you can't afford. Nobody, no city editor is going to say, oh, you have writer's block today. Well, just file tomorrow. Uh, and I think that disciplined me to, the, to uh, be able to sit down and write the copy that I needed to write on deadline. It also means that I need a deadline and I, I, I'm always, always more productive with it. Yeah. That, that is, that is such a great uh, way of thinking about it. Like, it, you know, I'm sure most novelists are not necessarily working for uh, a newspaper, but if you can create um, your own deadline and force yourself to stick to it, you're right. Like you just show up every day and, and you treat it like a, a profession uh, and the words come and they, they add up over time. That's exactly right. Every and, and then actually every book is written incrementally. I mean, it's very rare that somebody sits down and just writes a book beginning to end. I know it's happened, but yeah, uh, that that's the trick. Uh, that's the secret. And uh, the work book I'm working on now is a book about writing, and I have found uh, writer after writer after writer, very famous and accomplished writers. And they all have this, many of them have this exact advice. If I can do 200 words, 500 words, 1,000 words, 2,000 words in a day, I put away the, the royal typewriter, I close the computer down, and I go do something else. And so it's not, it's not my secret. It's a, it's a tool that many, many writers have used. Yeah, it's almost as if uh, I, I have a very similar routine and it's almost as if what, whatever happens in the rest of the day doesn't matter because you got your most important work accomplished pretty early on. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and the timing, look, my wife is a night person. She writes, she writes at night. She sometimes writes overnight. I could never do that, not in a million years. <laughs> but it's in my nature to write early. So you find the time of day and the, play, the place is very crucial to where I am makes a difference. Uh, uh, although the portable, you know, the laptop has revolutionized all writers' lives, and it certainly revolutionized mine. I've, I've written my books in uh, Starbucks and in departure lounges and in hotel rooms. I, I've been able to uh, carry my work with me everywhere. That's great. That's great. So let's talk for a little bit about what you do then in the rest of the day uh, sure, as absolutely. an attorney. 
uh, I know that you you help a lot of uh, clients who are authors. You you give a lot of great advice and do sessions around uh, forming an LLC or some type of business protection. And I know this is something I get asked all the time. And I always say, I'm not an attorney. I don't really know. But now I've got one, <laughs> a very experienced one. So maybe we could start by defining what an LLC is as it pertains to an author. Sure. Um, let me say that there are two business entities that are highly comparable. One is the limited liability company or LLC, and the other is a conventional corporation that's organized under an IRS section called subchapter S. So an S as in Sam, S Corp. Both of those business entities are comparable for one reason. They are simple to organize, simple to maintain, and they are pass-through entities for purposes of taxation, so you don't get double taxed. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but if you have a conventional corporation, which happens to be a C-corp, although C doesn't stand for conventional, it stands for a section of the IRS code, a conventional corporation gets taxed on its own profits. And then what's left is distributed to the shareholders, and then it's taxed again at the shareholder level. That's double taxation. For most uh, authors or small businesses, that's an insupportable burden. You don't want to pay twice on your taxes. So the LLC or the S-Corp uh, are designed to pass through the income to your personal income tax return every year, and you pay tax once. So that's why you would choose either the LLC or the S-Corp. Excellent. Okay. So I have another yeah, point yeah, I please. want. Very important. Uh, at least out here in California, it's also true in Massachusetts, and it may be true in other states as well. California recently enacted a new labor law, which makes it very, very difficult for publishers to treat freelance writers, also editors, also uh, photographers, as independent contractors. It, fa it establishes a presumption that the freelancers are actually employees of the publisher. And that's to no one's advantage in the uh, publishing industry or the media. In fact, some freelance writers in California who had steady gigs with national publishers were told, we're no longer using California writers because of this law. We're going to use writers outside of California because we don't want you to be our employees. We only want independent contractors. That law, which has created a sensation among freelance writers and photographers here in California, is now being challenged in court, it's being lobbied, it may change. Uh, we're still in the shakeout period for that law. But one piece of legal advice that I give to my clients is, if you organize your freelance writing business as an LLC or an S-Corp, so that the relationship is not individual to publisher, it's LLC or S-Corp to publisher, it is much less likely to fall afoul of this law. It's not bulletproof. It hasn't been tested in court, but that's the legal advice that I've been giving. 
So when, when, if we're talking to a freelance writer who has uh, gigs with more than one client, publisher client, if he or she does business through an LLC, it is going to be much more reassuring to the publisher and much less likely to run afoul of this new law, which is new in California and it exists in Massachusetts as well. So I would say in this time and place, that's a, a, a really good reason to organize an LLC. There are other reasons I'd be happy to go into, uh, but that's a new and important reason. I hadn't even been aware of that. That that is, uh, yeah, I have an LLC and 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 didn't even know that. Uh, I think there might be some authors or writers who maybe are not writing as clients of of publishers. Let's say they're independent publishers themselves. They are uh, uploading and and selling books through Amazon completely on their own. Um, they're considered a sole proprietor, maybe. Uh, what's the advantage for someone like that to uh, okay. form an LLC? That's another and 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 equally important issue. But but I would say that if we're talking about a self-published writer, then this uh, independent contractor issue goes away. You're not you are your own boss. You are your own employee, so to speak. But uh, you, technically, you are what. Uh, you've already said a sole proprietor, and then the uh, employment issue goes away. It's not. It's not an issue if you're writing and publishing yourself. The next issue, and the classic issue, why you have corporations and LLCs, is as liability protection. And I want to go carefully through this because there are some things that the LLC will protect you against and some things that the LLC will not protect you against. What won't it protect you against? If you sit down at the keyboard and you write an article or a book and in the pages of that article or book, you infringe copyright, somebody else's copyright, or you defame someone else, the fact that the publisher of that work is your LLC does not protect you as an individual from being sued for copyright infringement or defamation. You have an independent liability as the human author of the material that you wrote. So if an author says to me, I'm afraid I've written a book that might get me sued for libel or invasion of privacy, um, can I uh, hide behind an LLC, uh, I have to say, no, that's not going to protect you from liability for that claim. Uh, and also copyright infringement. Now, let's look at a different issue. Let's say you are acquiring services from someone else to support your publishing activity. You, have, you, you hire a printer. You job out the printing to a printer. You hire an editor to edit, copy edit and text edit and proofread. You uh, uh, register a domain name and set up a website and hire a web designer. All of those business activities, if they are channeled through the LLC, are not chargeable against the individual. You have a protection uh, a barrier to liability for those kinds of business risks and obligations. Uh, that is uh, of limited value in the situation where you have a brand new LLC. 
It ha it's owned by one person, and the person who owns it is the author whose work is being published. Let's say you go to a web designer, and the web designer says, I'll sign a contract with your LLC. My client will be your LLC. But I, your LLC doesn't have a history. It doesn't have a credit rating. It doesn't have much money in the bank or any money in the bank. I want you as an individual to guarantee the obligation. That is not an unusual situation for a brand new LLC or, or corporation. Uh, in that case, if you've given a personal guarantee, then the uh, vendor can collect the amounts owed against you individually and or against your LLC. However, as you are in business over years and you grow and develop and you have a, a, a business history and a credit history for the LLC, uh, that requirement for personal guarantee may go away and then you'll get the full protection uh, against liability for the business activities of the LLC or, or the corporation. Hmm. Am I correct in assuming that in, in the scenario that you described, let's say there's a dispute with the, the, uh, the printer or the editor and it, it needs, there needs to be litigation. Are your personal assets then protected if, if you are uh, an LLC? It's a very astute question and that's exactly what I mean by liability protection. Okay. Okay. Let's say there was no LLC at all. You were doing everything as a sole proprietor and you got sued over a printing bill or the amount you owed to the editor or for libel or for invasion of privacy. That claimant against you, the plaintiff in the lawsuit against you, can re if they're successful in court, can reach all of your personal assets, your bank account, your car, your jewelry, your computer equipment, that those personal assets are at risk. And, and that's why uh, in my legal practice, the client who is most likely to set up an LLC or a corporation is what we call euphemistically a high net worth individual, <laughs> someone with a lot to lose. If they have a lot of assets, they don't want to put those assets at risk for their publishing business or publishing activities. They're going to be very quick to do business through an LLC or a corporation. If you have an LLC or corporation in place, and if you have entered into the contract for the services of the editor, the printer, the website designer through the LLC. And if they don't ask for a personal guarantee or you don't give them a personal guarantee, then if they're going to sue you, all they can attach, all they can reach are the assets of the LLC. That's what I mean by a barrier. Yeah. The LLC is a barrier. It stands between your claimant and your personal assets. And if you have money in the bank, the LLC should have a, a bank account, an operating account. We can talk about that too. That's a very important point. Yes. Uh, but if there are, uh, if the LLC owns a computer or owns uh, uh, office equipment or property, if it has money on deposit in the LLC account, that's at risk. Okay. Okay. I would have to think that, um, the, the most, well, I shouldn't say most authors that there are many authors who, because this is turning into more of a digital business than it's ever been, have, have very few assets, uh, attributed to the LLC unless it was, you know, um, money in a, in a bank account. But other than that, I can't imagine them having 
office buildings and uh, and real estate, but I could be wrong there. I don't know. Well, it's, it's a very small uh, percentage may have actual physical assets. Yeah. Uh, but here are two assets that they will have. And I, I thank you for bringing this subject up because this is another important issue. If you're the author of a book, let's use a book as the example. The book is protected under copyright and the copyright is property. It's, you know, it's what we lawyers call intellectual property. It has value. If you, as the owner of the LLC, are using your LLC to publish that book, you don't want to put the ownership of the copyright in the LLC because whatever value that copyright has is now reachable by the, uh, by the claimants against right. the LLC. What you want to do is keep that intellectual property in your own name and license it. There's actually a contract, and I've done this countless times. There's a contract. It's called a licensing agreement because you're not – conveying ownership, you're just conveying the right to use. And that is the distinction between an assignment of copyright and a license. Assignment conveys ownership, a license com conveys the right to use. What that means is that in the worst case scenario, however unlikely it may be, if a claimant against the LLC gets a judgment and wants to attach the assets of the LLC, they are not going to get the ownership of the copyright. A publishing venture may have and is likely to have another kind of intellectual property, which is a trademark. That could be the press name, it could be a logo, it could be the design of a, of a book cover, it could be a series title. That trademark, those trademarks are also intellectual property. They should also stay in the name of the individual and they should also be licensed by the individual to the LLC. And again, that's a protection for those, what I always call the crown jewel assets of a publishing company, which are, especially in this digital age, you don't own a printing press and you probably don't own a building, but you do own copyrights and trademarks. Yeah. So you're, you're essentially, uh, as the, as the owner of the LLC, you're licensing it to yourself. In well, so many yes, words, right? except that lawyers, you know, this is a persnickety lawyer habit. <laughs> We use the word person. The word person means either a living, breathing human being or a business entity. They're both persons and they have legal uh, existence and legal status. So it's not that you're licensing it to yourself. What you're doing is you as an individual are licensing it to a company. You just happen to own the company. Got it. I can, and, and here's where you'll see the difference. At the end of every contract, there should be signatures of the two contracting parties. The person who signs will be the same for the author and the publisher, except what it should say at the, in the signature block is Jonathan Kirsch, comma, individually, that's the author signature, and Jonathan Kirsch Press LLC by Jonathan Kirsch, its managing member on the other side. So the physical signature looks identical because the same person applied it. But when I signed in my individual capacity, I'm binding myself. When I signed in my capacity as the owner of the LLC, 
I'm binding the others. That's fantastic. I've perfect clarity on that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You mentioned a few moments ago um, the idea of bank accounts and and where funds yeah. should be. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. And this and I would say that as as wide ranging as our conversation goes uh, today, this is the the last crucial takeaway uh, on this subject. This is what you need to know. There is a concept out in the legal world known uh, colorfully as piercing the corporate veil. And what that means is, let's use the, the printer as an example. The printer signs a contract with the LLC to print the author's book. The author owns the LLC. Maybe the printer asks for a personal guarantee and the author says no. Maybe the printer doesn't ask for a personal guarantee. So if there's no personal guarantee, the printer can only look to the LLC to pay the printing bill. Okay, now there's a lawsuit. The printer might say, you know, that LLC is just a sham. It's not a real legal entity. It has no real legal existence. It's just a, a fraud against creditors like me. And I want to go around the LLC and reach the owner of the LLC. That's what piercing the corporate veil means. It says corporate veil because it's often used in corporate litigation, but it would apply to an LLC. Okay, now you have this problem. They're, gonna, they're suing you and they're suing your LLC and they're claiming that the LLC should be disregarded and the individual behind it should be liable. What do you do about it? Your burden of proof in that circumstance is to show that the LLC was a real, valid, and existing business. And the way you show that is it had its own taxpayer identification number. It filed its own tax returns. It had its own bank accounts. Uh, it had its own books and records. And above all, the most important, it was adequately capitalized. And there is you can't just open a bank account and put a dollar in it. There should be, you, you should put some money as what would be called a contribution to capital, the operating capital of the LLC. How much do you have to put in? Question I'm often asked. You put in what's reasonable for the nature of the business. If you were starting a nuclear power plant, you'd have to put in billions or many millions. If you're starting a digital publishing company, well, clearly 1,000, 1,500, 2,500, that's going to be reasonable capitalization. And once you've done all those things, you want to treat that LLC as a separate entity whenever money goes in or out of that account. For example, if you as the owner need to put more money into the operating account because a bill is coming due, that should be entered on the books and records of the LLC as an additional contribution to capital or a personal loan, uh, but it should not just be, I'm throwing money in. Uh, and the same thing happens when you're taking money out. You, the money should not be just, hey, you should write a check on the uh, LLC account to pay your rent, your, your, the rent of your home. 
everything should go on the books as some form of business transaction. If, for example, if the uh, LLC checking account is used to pay your rent when it comes due, that should go down on the books as a loan from the LLC to you. And you want books and records that are uh, trackable, accountable, auditable uh, to show that. Uh, there are uh, legal formalities you also have to uh, observe. And here we get to one of the reasons people like LLCs better than corporations. The legal formalities for a corporation are a li little bit more onerous than the legal formalities for an LLC. For example, corporation has to have an annual meeting of shareholders. There need to be minutes of the annual meeting of shareholders. Uh, actions by the corporation need to be in resolutions. And uh, properly, a corporation has a physical book. It's called the corporate book. It's a black loose leaf binder. And all these documents, minutes, resolutions, articles of incorporation, bylaws, they're all kept in those binders. And if you're ever challenged, is this a real corporation? You want to be able to show that you uh, observed all those formalities. LLC doesn't have any of those formalities. So the, the, the boxes you have to check in terms of sheer paperwork are uh, fewer and less crucial for an LLC. And that's why people like LLCs better than corporations. But other than those uh, paperwork formalities, the ones I've checklisted to you, I am taxpayer identification number, bank account, separate books and records, adequate capitalization, those apply to both corporations and LLCs. And yeah. if you disregard them, then the whole point of operating through an LLC is put at risk if somebody makes a claim against you. It sounds as though the the transaction history is is just as critical as the capitalization so that I need to be able to prove that the money going out of my LLC is going towards legitimate expenses for, for my business uh, and keeping a record of that. Would that be correct? That's right. That's correct. I'd say they both, both of those issues have equal weight. Although if you read the cases, you know, lawyers rely on what the cases say. Adequate capitalization is always uh, the first thing mentioned. Uh, but I also want to point out uh, that it doesn't mean your core, your LLC, if it has cash in the checking account, can't pay your bills, but the best way would be for a check to be written out of that LLC account to you, and it's called a, a member distribution. The owner of, a, of an LLC is called a member, not a shareholder. And it's kept on the books as a distribution of income by the LLC to its member, or it could be a loan. Uh, you could even, if you really were willing to push the envelope, you could make the check payable to your landlord and just treat it on your books and records as a loan or a distribution. Um, but it's better to have a clean record that shows why did that money come out of the account? It's either distribution of income revenue to the member or it's a loan that needs to be repaid. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a better uh, way to to make an auditable record. Yeah, it it does sound cleaner if you are just uh, 
writing yourself the check as, as a distribution and then doing what you will with that money. But at least that's, that's been right. a, a cleaner transaction. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, by the way, yeah, I, let me just add one more thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of these issues are really bookkeeping or accounting issues. And someone who goes into business really would benefit from having an accountant or, or at a minimum an experienced bookkeeper who can help you keep track of all these things. There are lots of programs that will do it for you. We use those programs in my law practice. Uh, so it's you don't have to, I guess, in theory, have a, a living human being. But I have a tax accountant and I call my accountant when I have a tax question. I'm not a tax lawyer. Same here. I, I, I rely so much on my tax guy and he's well worth every penny because it's not just filing my tax, my return. It's the questions I have throughout the year, the issues that come up, and, and I know I'm getting good, solid advice. So I, right. I second that. Uh, this has been an incredibly uh, helpful and informational conversation, and I, I can't thank you enough for this. I think this is the type of information that not enough, uh, especially independent authors, but all authors here because they get wrapped up in the romantic notion of sitting in a cabin in the woods and typing sure. the great American novel, and they don't think about this kind of stuff. It's true. So uh, maybe a good way to kind of round out the conversation would be, uh, let's say I'm listening to this and my blood pressure is rising because I don't have an LLC. And, mm -hmm. uh, and now I realize I need to take some action. What would be the first step or the first couple steps you would recommend for someone who is starting it at square one? Well, I would say the first person to call, if you have a, an accountant, a tax preparer, uh, I would call that person and say, I heard a guy on the internet talking <laughs> about the advantages of an LLC, and I want to figure out if it's the right thing for me to do, and how would it affect my, uh, my taxes, my filings, and uh, what do you think it's going to cost? May By the way, many people who hire me to be their lawyer already have an LLC that their accountant set up for them. Some of them have an I LLC they set up themselves online. I mean, it, there's a lot of ways to set up an LLC and you don't necessarily need a lawyer to do it. But I think it's that accountant who is the first call you make. Now, if you then take the next step and you want to formalize the, the business relationships between you and your LLC and between your LLC and the people you do business with, that's when you call a lawyer like myself, a lawyer who knows what kind of contracts you need. Uh, and even though they are, as you've correctly pointed out, contracts with yourself in one sense, they're important to do. They have legal consequence. And I would say that's the second step. So the first call would be to the accountant. Second call would be if you're going to use a lawyer to do this, uh, to a, a lawyer with the requisite skills to do publishing documents. All right, Mr. Jonathan Kirsch, uh, I love this conversation. I don't know if you could tell I was taking tons of notes as this guy was talking. Uh, where do we even start with this one, JD? Well, first of all, I just want to plug IBPA because um, I don't think we've actually talked about them on the air, but that's definitely an organization I think most independent authors should be part of. Uh, I love them. Like, just for the simple fact, you know, like I, I first found them because if, if you're part of IBPA, you get a discount into NetGalley. 
uh, and, and they'll help you get your books out there. And that was how I first stumbled into them. And then I, I, I've been doing that for every book that I put out since. Um, but the, the resources that they have available are, are huge. You know, people like Jonathan, you know, being part of that. Um, aside from that, like, where do we start? Jeez, I, I, I coming from a family of writers, I, I wish my family had been a family of writers. <laughs> yes. my, my, my parents tried to steer me clear of this career as every chance that they, they got, like they just pushed me towards epic fail. Else. Yeah. <laughs> Go to college, do this, get a corporate job, do this. Oh God. I wish I had a, you know, somebody in, in my life at the time that was steering me in this direction. Um, very cool that his father was a book critic for the LA times. Uh, cause I, you know, just on a personal note, like I, I barely knew my father, my dad worked so much. Like he was coming home about the same time we were going to bed as kids. And you know, like I grew up without barely seeing him in the house and then he passed away, you know? So like I, I, I literally had a couple conversations with the guy where I really got to know anything about his history. Um, so the ability to just be able to go back through time and like dig through old articles written by your father for LA times that that's gotta be huge. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And uh, you could tell that he was very passionate about writing. And, you know, uh, as we mentioned in, in the preview, you know, he, he's not just an attorney, but he, he's written a lot of books himself. And so he's got the author mindset and he knows he knows what it feels like. And uh, for both an artistic standpoint and from a business standpoint. Yeah. And he brought up, you know, something else that we've talked about a couple hundred words a day. You know, that that's all that it takes. And you've got a novel in a year if you can you can manage to knock that out. Um, you know, another attorney, John Grisham, like he, you know, he scribbled out his first couple of books on, on legal pads while he was sitting in the courtroom waiting for his cases to come up. Um, he found those couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there. And that, that's what you need to do if you really want to get it done. Um, he, this guy had also mentioned writer's block. Then it's a, a luxury you can't afford working for a newspaper, and, right. and that that brought back some memories too. Back when I used to do that kind of thing, and 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 he's so right. You know, like if your editor tells you I need twelve hundred words on this subject by ten a.m., you know you have to have it on his desk by ten a.m. You know, he, he doesn't want to hear about writer's block. Those presses don't stop and wait on you. Um, the crazy crazy dynamic, but it's definitely a, a great tra uh, training ground for for anybody that wants to do this professionally. Yeah, it totally is. And I, uh, I, I did, never wrote for a, a major publication or a newspaper, but I wrote for my uh, university's newspaper, and this was pre-internet. And even as a student, you felt that kind of pressure. You know, like I was writing op-ed pieces maybe once a week. They weren't daily, but still, like I didn't have the luxury of being like, yeah, I just, I'm just not feeling it. The muse isn't here. It's like, no, you, <laughs> you got to produce your words or someone else is getting your spot. Yeah, and all editors have that same that same kind of look in their eye, like they're they're five seconds away from a heart attack or a stroke because they're trying to balance all these people and and get these stories in on time and chase everybody. And I, I don't miss that world at all. I, I'm, I'm glad that I was part of it. Um, but yeah, I did much more fun to just sit behind your desk and just make stuff up. <laughs> um, so are, are you doing any of these things that he mentioned? Do you have an LLC? Do you have a, an S Corp? Any, anything like that? Yeah, uh, so this this was validating for me and, and felt good on, an, on a number of levels because the first thing I did was I got a tax guy. And I, I say guy, there's tax girls too, but I call, right. he is a guy, so I call him a tax guy. But uh, he, he was the accountant that my dad and my parents used for a number of years. And one of the first things I did was I hired him and it hurt because like when I started in this, uh, I was still a W-2, I was working a full-time job and I could have turbo tax for like, 50 bucks like it wasn't that complicated but i knew like there were going to be things that I, I i that were going to be more complicated the further i got into this and i think the tax the first tax return he did for me was hundreds of dollars and it stung but you know what i got and this is what i tell people all the time is it, you're not just paying for that paperwork like 
anytime I have a problem or a question, I pick up the phone and I talk to the guy. And this guy, eat, lives, breathes tax code. Like he knows the changes from one year to the next. And so I, I got a tax guy really early on. And then he helped me decide when it was right to form an LLC. So I didn't form an LLC right out of the gate. I probably should have, but I would say five or six years into it, I formed an LLC. And now between those two, I feel like I have 90% of the protection that uh, Jonathan was talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I was doing the whole TurboTax thing you know, back when I had the corporate job. Um, but once royalty checks started coming in from different places, I wasn't quite sure how to handle that. Um, and the first year, I guess it was 2015 or so, was when I actually brought in somebody professional to do it. But I still did TurboTax just because I wanted to see if he came up with a better number than I could come up with. <laughs> and, you know, like I ended up paying him a lot more, but he ended up saving me some money. So in, in the end, it was kind of a wash. Um, when we started getting into real estate, that's when I really started digging into this kind of thing or, or they kind of forced it on me because, you know, when you own multiple buildings or multiple rental properties, uh, it's, it's important to shield yourself from those. So we've got separate corporations for every rental property that we own. So if a tenant slips and falls at one, they can't, you know, they're, our liability is basically tied up just in that one particular property. Oh, that's smart. Uh, yeah, little things like that. So because of that, we've got a slew of corporations that have come and gone. We've got some that we're currently using. Um, it means that our bank accounts are always changing um, you know, because everyone's got to have its own bank account. And then on the, the writer side, you know, we started with an LLC um, and I still have an LLC. I know all my royalties come into that particular account, but that gets paid out to a corporation um, where I draw a salary. Um, you know, like there's this giant structure behind it. And like at, at my level, like I was saying at the beginning of this, like I know just as much as I absolutely need to, to get by. Um, but my accountant's been great about it. Like he gave me a spreadsheet that basically summarizes every little thing and kind of gives me instruction. So if I have to pay my utility bill, it needs to come out of this account and his little note tells me why, you know, think things like that. And, you know, he handles all, all that stuff for me. So when my taxes at the end of the year, you know, I just basically send him everything. He gives me a, uh, like an electronic folder on, on you know, that I use throughout the year to organize everything um, and then in the end I just get my return I kind of look at those bottom line numbers and and you know try not to dig in any further than I, I need to because um, like you said like these guys get excited about it like I, I, yeah. I don't I don't get it I don't understand it right. I don't ever want to be excited about tax code but they are um, and you know any aspect of your business that's what you want you know if you're working with a publisher you want a publisher that's excited about being a publisher if you're working with a tax accountant you want somebody along those lines um, I've been looking at this structure very closely lately because I've got a, a nonfiction book I want to write. Um, without going into a whole lot of detail, a, a friend of mine was murdered um, in Tampa uh, in 2006, and I ended up actually solving the case in, in four days. It was a cold case murder. Oh my. Um, it, yeah, and, and it ended up, it ended with an indictment of the lead detective in, in the case. Oh. Um, and I almost ended up in witness protection um, because of it. Um, now, we know who killed my friend, and we know where it happened, and we even know you know, the weapon that was used. We know how they transported her body, all these different things. But because the detective himself was crooked, he never actually prosecuted these people. So they're still running around out there. So even though the federal indictment has come down and taken out the detective at this point, the case still hasn't been solved. And Tampa Poli uh, PD won't go back and, and open the case and investigate it again because this particular guy has got 20-some-year history behind him, and they're 
they're worried about what will happen to his other cases. If, if they unravel one, does that mean all of them come apart? You know, if you're a defense attorney and your client's sitting in jail because of this guy, you know, like that's enough to get your client back out of jail. So like they kind of want to leave well enough alone. So I really want to write this book that explains how I solved this case and everything that happened. But the players aren't, you know, they haven't been indicted. They haven't been arrested. You know, so I'm opening myself up to libel suits. You know, like even if you change names and you go with, you know, pseudonyms for the, the main players, you know, you're still opening yourself up to that kind of thing. So it's a story I really want to get out there because I know the book would probably be enough to, you know, maybe get like an HBO series and, and draw eyeballs to this entire case and, and get those people in jail. But at the same time, the actions that I would have to take to put them in jail are the same actions that could get me sued. Um, so I, I have to wow. look at the protections involved in all that. So yeah, that's another whole headache. Um, another reason why it's just more fun to just make stuff up, <laughs> St- <laughs> stick, stick with the fiction. Well, yeah. And, and, and even if like, you're not solving murders or having real estate projects, like I think it's also important to consider that, that you have a liability on a number of levels. Like, uh, one of the one of the primary reasons I formed my LLC and I advised Zach to do the same a, a few years ago was that we're running author events. So what happens if someone shows up for a weekend, you know, writer's retreat and they trip and fall in the classroom? Like you could be liable. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. And if you don't have some type of formal legal entity to protect you, all of your personal assets are vulnerable. Yeah, like I, I personally don't own my own house. It's owned by one of the corporations that I that I have. Um, for, for those very reasons, if somebody falls in my driveway, you know, I, I only want them to be able to reach so far. Um, and these are all things that you have to think about. I mean, they're, they're, they're good problems to have because you have, you know, obviously there's some assets behind them, but at the same time, they're, they're new headaches that you probably didn't have when you were first starting off in this particular career. Um, but it, you know, good prudent planning, I think is, is important at anything. Always plan for the worst and, you know, hopefully it never happens. And such, such great advice Uh, towards the end of the conversation, Jonathan, just saying like, yeah, the first thing you need to do is talk to an accountant, talk to a CPA. Like he's got one and, you know, he's in, he's an attorney. So I, I love that. I think that's, you know, it's, it's a whole lot less scarier, I think, to talk to a CPA than it is a lawyer. Uh, I don't know why that's the case, but it feels that way to me. And, and so I think if you're, if you're sitting there and you're starting to worry a little bit and you're thinking, I don't have these kinds of protections, it's okay. Just get on the phone, look in your local yellow pages or, or equivalent and, and find a, a CPA and start talking to somebody and just get informed. And uh, as, as you and I enjoy the benefits of, you know, that's what we're paying for, right? We're paying for that expertise so that we don't have to understand all that. And I think that's, uh, that's part of being in business. Yeah, absolutely. Great conversation. Cool. All right. So what do we got to have up uh, next week? Next week, we've got Zach coming back. Yes. Now, yes. did, he t- did he tell you what the topic was? Yeah, we're doing a, uh, this is something we did on the Career Author uh, from the beginning. It's sort of an end of year wrap up and a 2021 preview. So uh, it'll be a fun conversation just discussing, well, not everything. There was so much that happened <laughs> in 2020, but discussing uh, you know, what happened in 2020 as it pertains to publishing and then what we might expect or can hope for come 2021. Yeah, um, God, I don't know who wants to talk about 2020. I think we all want to pretend it, it didn't happen. Um, we, we mentioned Caller's Game at the beginning of this, and in my author's note at the end, I, I have a little recap, and I mentioned how many COVID cases there are in the country when I when I wrote that particular recap, and I wrote it in March, and I, I think like worldwide it was like 50,000 cases or oh, something wow. silly, and like I'm basically saying if you're reading this at this point, it's a year or so in the future, you know how all this ends. Um, and you know, meanwhile, it's going to be February, and it's still not over. <laughs> yeah. I think we got to clear a picture on you know what all happened but um yeah great crazy year and i think all of us want to pull a bobby ewing and just pretend we were in the shower and dreamt the whole thing yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's not possible for us in the real world. So that, that'll be the conversation next week. Should be fun. Zach and I always enjoy that episode. It's great to kind of uh, reflect and, and to, and to uh, you know, make a few predictions that we don't necessarily get right, but it's fun to do it anyways. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Cool. Uh, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.